0: Hello, my friend, it's Jay here, and you are listening to the She's Awesome podcast. Today, I am with a very special guest who made to the top few percent of women entrepreneurs in the UK. Julie Griffith, an inside professional, grew her market research agency to 25 employees, exited it with big success, and founded a new business fired up by a new passion, Julie now wants to help other businesses engage and energize their teams. God knows we need that by creating a safe space for candor and empowering employees to create a positive and trusting culture. Love it. We talked about everything. Seriously, it's like an hour of endless chat and you will learn a lot. We talked about growing a business to that level. We talked about market research. What does it mean? How we can dip in even if we have a very small business. We talked about starting over. We talked about people first culture. And when do you start thinking about people in your business? Does it start from the first employee? And guess what? Yes. So we talked about everything. And the key learning I took away was there to look for the bad news so you want to know more just keep listening welcome to the she is awesome podcast the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories giggles and thoughtful conversations offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to the She is Awesome podcast. As I introduced you to Julie earlier, I just would like to welcome Julie to our awesome show. Hi, Julie. Hi, how are you? Very well. I'm so happy that you're here as well. Yeah. So I a little bit introduced you at the start of the show, but it's kind of a, you know, cold introduction. I would like to get to know you more and I would like our listeners to get to know you more. So would you start telling a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yes, sure. No problem. Well, first of all, I'm normally on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> I'm an insight professional and, and have done many, many interviews with many, many people across the years. So this is quite unusual for me <laughs> to be the person answering the questions rather than asking them.
0: I got the power today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I started, I'm, I'm Scottish originally, and I started my career in market research. I find a love for qualitative research, which is all about kind of understanding you know how people why people do what they do how they do it where they do it all of that so mostly based on consumer research in that qualitative environment running focus groups workshops creative sessions all of that good stuff love getting out and meeting people so that's how I ended up nobody starts out and says, I'm going to become a market researcher. We all just kind of fall into it. And that's what happened to me many years ago in Edinburgh. And then I suppose it was a an industry that is very fast paced. I moved over to Ireland in 2001 and started working for a larger agency say which was great to get exposure to some amazing clients and brands but I did struggle with the with the pace of work and the work life balance when I moved over to Ireland and so when I started my family, after having my first daughter, I thought, do you know what, I really would like to try and, and do this for myself and carve my own kind of work-life balance out. So that's when I set up my own business in 2005. Grew that, just, yeah, whistles g- going on a bit here, but grew that to a team of probably about 25 people across the UK and Ireland. And I came out of that just last year. Uh, <laughs> so now, so we we part sold the business. It's still running in the background, and um, I am now doing a number of different things. I think in the process of sort of setting up my own business, having run that successfully, and a part of that was really kind of setting up what I was, would see as a people first culture. I really wanted other people to have a career in market research and in that fast paced environment, but also to have a better work life balance. So we had certain rules and regulations around. You you know, how many nights a week people worked. We really, you know, try to avoid any weekend working. And, you know, coming out now, the other side of that, I can see that the amazing culture that we, you know, had and still exists in that company. And so now I really want to focus my energy On that side of things, on helping other businesses create that type of culture within, because it really makes a huge difference to productivity, staff retention, all of that. So it's really using the same sort of skills. I still go in and try and explore and understand what's going on in businesses. It's just it's a sideways shift from consumer into employee engagement.
0: Fabulous, wow, so there are so many things that I want to explore with you. I want to explore your experience but also your expertise in two areas, both people and and market research that, does yeah. that work yes, <laughs> so course, yeah. the first part that I want to go is the past and and that kind of like the market research agency that you build you grew. How was it? I mean, it's not so that you know from a statistic perspective, yeah. you are a rare gem to as a woman business owner to be able to grow your business to twenty five people. It's in the like, you know, two three percent of the women entrepreneurs. Yeah, and I come from marketing. I know that it's a tough industry. So how was the journey? Tell me more about that. How was the journey?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, look, I mean, there's never a completely smooth path to growing a business. You know, they do say it takes blood, sweat and tears for a reason. (laughs) There was was no blood, but there was definitely a good bit of sweat and tears. <laughs> but yes, look I think you know setting up a business in 2005 I just worked by myself at that point I started off working three days a week and was really started becoming quite inundated with work I just I actually I think I love what I do I love market research I love understanding and, and finding out about people. I'm, I suppose I'm typically quite a curious and some might see say somewhat nosy person. <laughs> <laughs> and so it comes very naturally to me to, you know, to chat to people and understand people. It doesn't feel like a job, you know, it doesn't feel like working. I think if, when you love what you do, I think that's an initial part of what makes you successful. And then look, you know, the, I brought a business partner on in 2007. We became a limited company then. And then it just grew from there. I suppose he brought quite a lot of ambition to the team. And, you know, whereas I was quite happy just to, to you know, juggle. along doing what I was doing so we actually balanced each other out very very well and then (laughs) I got pregnant again um, in 2007 and you know he was left to manage everything and then you know we hit many many roadblocks at that point obviously you know I think at one point he had to go out and run groups on feminine hygiene (laughs) 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 <laughs> which was a challenge for him but we we just we still laugh about that to this day and uh, and then of course we hit the recession and i think that that was the turning point for us really that was the point where we went right okay there are research agencies making redundancies there are research agencies shutting down you know what do we do and we just thought right we're going to knuckle down and we're going to do everything that we can whilst it's quiet to make a success of this. And I think that really was the point. I think when you hit hard times and you knuckle down and you, you, know, you really think, how can we think creatively about how you can get out of a sticky situation is when the, the magic happens. And so we went to global conferences. We really looked at how we could innovate our product line And that's, I think, the point where people started to notice who we were. And from then on, then that was really sort of, I suppose, really kind of our our mantra. It's what you do in the quiet times that makes the difference.
0: It's so true. There are actually studies that were led during the crisis moments with brands who thrived after the crisis and it's all the brands who a kept their visibility be connected with their audience in a more kind of genuine way and they never never stopped marketing so you're so right that like when others are retrieving, if you are more aggressive in your approach and aggressive in a, in a kind way, then actually magic happens. You're so right. And that's amazing. But how would you say that you grew? Like, how could you, were there any patterns? How did you kind of went from two to five, five to 10, 10 to 20? Because this is something that if you tell people, a person who is a consultant. Basically, at the start, you started as a consultant, right? So if you tell a consultant tomorrow or in five years, you're going to have a team of 25 people. It's so conceptual, right? It's just like too far away for them or it's a wishful thinking. But how does it happen that kind of like steps? Where are the steps? Can you describe us a little bit?
1: I I think I would describe the steps. If you think of a staircase, is that you you know you go up three steps and then you go back a step and then you go up five steps and then you go back three steps. And unfortunately, in the market research industry and the insights industry, it is a very roller coaster world. So. Yeah. There's no incremental. Oh, we're going up now to three people, to four people, to five people. You know, it was uh, up to 15, back to 10. (laughs) It was it was very backwards and and forwards. Look, obviously, we started out as a boutique qualitative agency, and then we we broadened our services out to quantitative research, and we you know really were quite open minded about the type of clients and the work that we did. So we broadened out the skill set in the team, and then obviously we had to kind of bring in other people into the team. support that so I can't really say there was any you know pattern or structure I think the one thing that remained in terms you know I think resilience is a word that I would use I think you know when things were quiet you know we put our heads together and said right what do we do let's go and shake some trees let's think of something innovative to do the very first marketing thing that we did which I think is quite fun and I think could still be used to this day was our brand. This is quite random, but because our brand was all about people, it was one of those sort of middle of the night things. I thought, oh, jelly babies are fun and it's fun little people. So let's use them in our branding. And we started our marketing by sending out little branded juke bags of jelly babies to clients that we wanted to work with and it had huge success. <laughs> so we kind of kept that theme of sending out little packages to people. And you know, those days LinkedIn didn't exist. You know, a lot of people rely on on LinkedIn these days or you know, digital formats and digital advertising. But that little physical gift had a big impact on people. It was so unexpected. And, you know, there was a time when we were all bombarded with direct mail, wasn't there? And that that sort of stuff. It just doesn't happen anymore
0: yeah or when it happens it's not differentiating so you don't you, you, it's another brochure but you know what my previous business j strategy my first ever client i got them like this as well it's yes. so important right. i got them a direct mailing and then yeah. a candy can <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> That's- Yes, I mean, we, we, we had loads of fun things over the years and it's something that I will start implementing into my new business. You know, we had those, remember those little filmy the fish that, that, that we'd, <laughs> you'd put in your hand and it told you how you were feeling. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of fun things like don't leave it to the fish to work out what consumers are feeling or thinking. And it was just things like that. You know, I love bringing fun into my businesses. I just think that, you know, if I can put a smile on my clients' faces, you know, not just in the work that I do, but just the energy I bring to projects, that's really important to me. And that's really important to, you know, the team that I, that I worked with. So as
0: important. Well. And I do agree. It's also kind of that kind of like you dared, you know, it's better to actually probably send 20 quality, you know, things rather than sending 1000 LinkedIn emails.
1: I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't agree.
0: have any research on that, but I would want to have that. We should, we should check <laughs> so, on the market research.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think so another thing. thing so, just another thing is that in terms, just reminded me something. In terms of clients, I never gave up. and gave up if I had a, a client that I wanted to target. I remember there was one client. It was a dairy client, a dairy brand, and I never gave up on the fact that they ignored me for. I think it was three years that I tried to get into this company, and in the end, once I got my foot in the door, that they became, I you know, one of my best clients.
0: Yeah. That's so important. So I would say I have three key points. First of all, and this is actually, you know, you said there is no pattern, but actually there is a pattern in what you're saying is growth is not trajectory, like one trajectory. It's messy. There is a trend of growth. So when you go to from 1 to 15, even though you can go back to 10, it's a just small dip, but there is a trend of going above and above. So that's, that's something that we need to understand and, and, and accept as well. You know, it's not because for example, there are, there are clients of mine, they will hit, you know, five figures months and then, the next month will be four-figure. And yeah. then, well, what what happened? What, what did you think? That it's going to be a every month like party? It's not going to be like this. And not then really. five-figure months will become your normality. And then one day you're going to hit the six-figure month, but it's not going to become the normality for a long time. Yes. So in the growth yes. of the team, from what, what you're saying, my understanding is, it will be up and down, up and down until up becomes a normality. And then you're going to hit another peak and then it's going to go down. And that's yeah. how the growth is. That's the pattern of growth. And that's the pattern of success as well. So that's what I take as a key takeaway.
1: I think it's not becoming complacent as well. I think, you know, yeah. you, you, know you start making money and you just go, oh, like, that's it now. I don't need to do anything else. I think you have to keep, you know, keep active, keep innovating, keep learning. I think, you know, it's just you have to keep growing.
0: Yeah. And what you said is so important as well. It's kind of like two keys to growth, client growth, let's say, is one, be yourself authentic and surprise them, you know, delight them and surprise them. And secondly, is don't give up like what you said. Don't give up. I mean, three years, three years, you had that person in mind and you got them in. Yeah. That's it. It's amazing. Okay, so before I get into market research in itself, I want to ask you the classical question. What would be one thing that you would tell to women out there who want to grow their businesses, who are at the, you know, not start off the business maybe, but they are one, two people and they want to reach what you reach. What is the key learning?
1: Oh, it's hard to pick one. I Go think when you, me a bit more. <laughs> yeah, well I think I think first of all, when you find something you love what you do, I think if you are true to yourself and you're authentic. I think if you don't compare yourself to others, I think that's really important. Follow your own path. I think for females particularly we are quite self-effacing, which is fantastic, you know, to look into ourselves and see how we can become better. But sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves and go, well, look at that person over there. They're really, really successful. I think you have to carve out your own authentic path, your own authentic niche, and just trust that that's enough. So I think that would be the one piece of advice. I think, you know, for me, it was a risk, you know, to use sort of fun and, you know, the jelly babies and things like that for clients, you know, it might not have suited certain clients. And it's just part of my personality. And it was part of the personality of the brand. So we stuck with that for many years and it was successful. So yeah, I think if you start comparing yourself to other people, then you start changing too much and you don't stray too to yourself because you try and be like them. It won't work. I think it's just being your true self, embracing that completely.
0: That's a great, great one. Thank you. Yes. Anything else or was it the one that you can pull out?
1: Well, we can get really stuck in our own heads a bit. When we work for ourselves, it's really easy just to do non-stop working. (laughs) And I think sometimes that limits us somewhat. So I find that my best ideas often come when I take time away from work. When I walk the dog or go horse riding or go running, that's when I go, oh God, I've got this great idea. It just comes into my head. I think when we're sitting at the desk, putting ourselves under pressure to come up with good ideas, it doesn't happen. So I think having that work-life balance and taking time out, taking time away is super, super important.
0: I totally agree with that. Okay, great. Thank you. So let's get back to this big, scary thing called market research. Now, market research is seen as the tool for the big boys, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a big believer of understanding your audience, Whatever you do, even you're a one person, even if you're starting, the first thing that you need to aim to do is before falling in love with your creative idea, et cetera, just try to understand the audience. So yeah. what would you say to small businesses or solopreneurs to do to understand their audience if they couldn't access a market research agency?
1: Yeah, I think it's tough because it's not cheap to do market research and most of my clients would have been large blue chip companies like you know yeah. it was the, big, the big the big, guys um, but I do think that there's a lot of great tools out there that you can use yourself I think if you can't afford a full service market research then you could look into just getting some advice and help from you know maybe a freelance or a consultant like myself who may be able to help you with if you have a questionnaire that you're putting out in SurveyMonkey that you get advice on how to do that properly because you know it looks simple but it's not I think mm-hmm. it's really hard to stay impartial and unbiased, particularly if you're doing research on your own company or your own mm-hmm. business and your own consumers. You're going to bring in your own biases. So I think impartiality is, is really, really important and being willing to hear the bad news as well as the good news. I think sometimes we shut out the bad news.
0: <laughs> yeah, this was so interesting because I was working with this client this summer. So she came to me and she created this business for bigger businesses and she had this idea and she was literally because she was actually talking about a real problem that she was facing and it was all about women health and she wanted to bring that into the companies and I said well why don't you ask you know you'll have access to a few companies just ask what, what is actually their problem. And it turned out that the problem that she was suffering from was such a minimal, you know, part of the population or in a company, in general, either none or one person, that, you know, it wasn't top of them you know top of their priority so no company would buy any product any training anything around that specific topic and she needed to enlarge it and and the problem was she didn't want to lose control because she was specifically expert in that topic and if she enlarged the, the offer then she would need to bring in the experts and that. Bad news was bad enough for her to say almost like, na-la-la-la-la-la, you know, Clo- close my ears. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to move on.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because when I set up Culture and Candour, I, you know, was spent quite a bit of time thinking, what's the strap line? What am I doing here? <laughs> and I had lift the lid because I, th- I thought this was brilliant. I thought, you know, this is all about uncovering what's happening in your organizations, talking to your employees, offering a safe space for candor. <laughs> and then when I actually started asking people, they were kind of saying, a lot of businesses don't want to lift the lid. <laughs> want to see what's underneath the lid (laughs) so you have to turn it into something more positive but I I just couldn't see it at the time so I put a call out in LinkedIn say you know I'd love love to speak to leaders and and find out you know what you need what you want tested some of my own material and had to be really willing to go okay that was a stupid idea <laughs> i need to change that so you know now it's you know it's all about creating energy and energizing the team rather than lifting the lid and uncovering things um, yeah. so yeah you have to be willing to it, it's so hard when you've built something yourself and created something yourself you don't spot the flaws it's like when you write something you don't see the typos yeah. you know when yeah. you you've written it and you go no and then somebody goes that word is spelled completely
0: wrong and you go oh my goodness don't spell your audience wrong like basically that's it don't do not and thank you very much for saying it's really key to be willing to hear the bad news as well as the good news because actually hearing the bad news at the start is much better than when you are deep in the project, deep in the thing, and then you go, but why they don't buy it? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> why? Yeah. I think keep hearing bad news, keep looking for the bad news, because you have to evolve and change, you know, you might have set something up, you know, and then 12 months, 24 months later, it's not as relevant and things have moved on. And so you need to keep listening out for, you know, what you need to change and and how you need to adapt. And I think that adaptability is really important for small businesses in particular, because you actually have, you have the ability to adapt. That's a plus. You know, you can be more agile than bigger companies. So I think, you know, it's just keep listening for the bad news and being open to criticism.
0: I think we found the title of our episode. It's <laughs> keep looking for the bad news. And because now we're coming to your current business, and that is all about that as well. So, but before we come to that, you said something when, when we first met, and then when you sent me your information, you said something to me, which I want to explore. He said, yeah. we created a business that has people first culture. Yeah. Let's talk about the opposite. What are the businesses that, I mean, for me, people first is like so, yeah, duh. What are the businesses, what are the mistakes that businesses are making who are not focused on people first? And this goes for, you know, a person who has the first employee from that small to much bigger corporate level. What do we do when we don't put people first? What does that mean? How does it show up?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, obviously a people first customer, the concept behind that is you look after the people, they look after the customer and the money comes in. If it's inverted and you're only thinking about money, money, money and customers and you don't really look after your people or think about them in the mix, then it's not going to be a conducive environment to foster a really kind of engaged team that are happy and feel appreciated and valued. And what will happen is that people will come and work with you for a while (laughs) and then they'll just leave. And I think, particularly now people are much more choosy and aware of what the employer is not just about the job now it's actually about what am I going to get how you know are these people behaving how are people enjoying working there and you know do I align with their values you know, do they have a purpose that I agree with? So I think you're going to get a much more productive and loyal team if you put them first. I think it's scary for a lot of companies. You know, I think companies have traditionally been, we need to make money, we need to make money, you know, we need to bring in customers. So I think it's quite a leap for some companies to move to that space.
0: It is. And what I want to understand is what are they doing currently that Shows up. Okay, I understand they're more performance focused. Okay, let's put it that way. Like the whole culture is around bring money, bring money, bring money. That's the first thing. What are the other signs of companies that don't put the people first?
1: Yeah, I think trust comes to mind. I think that's a big word. And something that, you know, so- sometimes there's a lack of trust. And so they just make assumptions. about. So let's just say a really good example would be the push for RTO, the return to office. And that's because some businesses just don't feel that everyone is just sitting at home watching this morning or whatever. You know, and, and it's absolutely more likely that it's not the case, that people are actually working better and more productively at home or when they have that flexibility. But I think some companies just have that lack of trust that people are dosing when they're at home. And so they're bringing everyone back into the office. And you know, everyone's coming back into the office and going, Oh, now I'm gonna have another two hours onto my day of traveling in in and out of work. So I think trust, I think there's a sometimes a, a lack of trust and okay. that's how I see it manifest itself in a lot of companies and then when you don't have trust that just breaks down the whole relationship doesn't it that's you're just an employee you don't really feel you know as i said acknowledged or valued and if you don't feel trusted then why would you really give that company your best you know why would you perform at your best if you're not being noticed or you're being distrusted and i just think that just breeds a bit of contempt and you know, people just don't feel. They just, what's the word? There's a there's a phrase. It's like un- unconscious quitting or something. Or that you yeah, people are quitting, yeah. yeah, or people are just going into work and going through the motions. Whereas the people first business, people are going in and actually, you know, l- loving work. They don't get the Sunday night skaties. Now, okay, everyone's going to get the Sunday night skaties from time to time <laughs> when you've had a busy weekend and you're like, oh God. But I think, you know, a people first culture is where, you know, you could see people going in and putting their hands up, not hiding, not kind of, you know, looking down at their feet when they're asked to do something. And, you know, they're there putting their hand up. Yeah, I want to do that. I want to take that on because they to give back it's a mutually respectful trusting relationship
0: fabulous okay so you had a full-on great market research agency and you build it with this culture with knowingly not knowingly because you are a great person and, and you created this culture whatever it is and then you exited in some ways this business and you created your current business yeah right and that business is culture and candor. That's right. Yeah. Right. So what do you do? Is it about lifting the lid and looking for the bad news Or is it about improving the bad or is it both?
1: I think it's helping people become truly people first is like how I would describe it. I'm trying to move away from lifting the lid because (laughs) it does really kind of imply that I'm looking for bad news and that's not the case. I'm actually looking for good news, but I'm also looking at things that could be improved and also spot any potential issues before they come to your head. So, you know, one of the biggest issues that people might be experiencing is overwhelm at work and so you know I actually do quite a lot of coaching as well as I'm uncovering things I actually help employees along the way so if people are experiencing overwhelm you know it's about helping them with their time management or about helping them you know say no to certain things that they may not you know they may be padding out their day with and also about helping the leaders I kind of identify how they can collaborate better with their team and you know because I see things from both points of view because I've been a leader I know how hard it is to manage a group of people and so and I will also I suppose I'm used to delivering news to uh, consumer brands and you know again it's the, the good and the bad so it's about balancing it out so I love telling people that you know this is great this is a great part of their culture this is really working well but then I would bring in and here are some areas that you could just improve on and things that you could do to improve that element most leaders know, I, I really don't think there's any workplace that's just 100% perfect. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a room for improvement. And so, you know, it's really just about kind of finding those gaps and opportunities.
0: So then I have a question about that kind of gaps and opportunities. Let's say I have a business. When do I call you? What time do I go, oh, I need Julie?
1: Well, I think it should be become an annual part of everyone's business that they actually Take the time to speak to the employees because I think particularly in sort of, you know, and medium-sized companies that maybe don't have a huge HR department, but I have a bit of a bugbear with HR anyway. I think that, you know, a lot of people think they work for the company and not for the people. I think bringing in an independent person just to listen to the stories and to hear and to help shape some new initiatives or policies and help the leaders grow as well in their roles because a lot of people become leaders purely by accident. I mean, I, that's, you know, I, I didn't necessarily start out with the intention of building a company that had you know, 25 employees. You know, I just wanted to work for myself and have a better work-life balance. And so, you know, I made mistakes along the way. I, you know, I was an accidental leader and I had to learn the hard way by just, you know, seeing and doing. And I think the one thing that I would do, I, I wouldn't do many things differently across my career, but I would definitely <laughs> employ a leadership coach, I, you know, it wasn't such a huge thing in those days, was it? You know, and a lot of people bring in leadership coaches for their middle management. Yeah, uh, You know, they don't bring in leadership co- coaches for upper management. So I think that's a mistake. So I think there's, you know, many points, but I think generally it should be something that every company does. I think that a lot of companies use... Sort of employee satisfaction surveys, whether that's, you know, Glint or there's a multitude of different great place to work, those sorts of surveys. And the employees themselves just see that as tick the box. They don't see it as their company really listening and valuing their opinion. And just by the fact that you bring someone like me in, you're already demonstrating that you're putting your people first. Just yeah. bring Just that, you know, that's engaging someone like me that shows that you care about your employees and that you want to listen to them. And they're going to be much more honest to me as an independent person than they are talking. I mean, I've heard of, I've heard of companies where they bring the CEO in to do focus groups with the employees. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness me. Yeah, they're going to be really. (laughs) i <laughs> working here, and you're a great boss. And <laughs> so, I, I think it's that impartiality that that brings a lot to the table. And I think it's just you're going to boost morale just by bringing someone like me in instantly.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Like when I'm thinking about it in my previous life, when I was an employee, as soon as there was a third party that would make people have the psychological safety to talk about problems. So you've been doing this for a year now no more than a year
1: no no i, I culture and candor is very new it's a matter of a few months i've done i've worked with a few great clients again so there would be also times when i think that's just to go back to that initial question you asked about when to bring me in i think if you've gone through any sort of change um uh, change of ownership or rebranding that's a good time as well because that can create a lot of upheaval within a business and i think that's a good time to get someone in to make sure that everyone is okay so that was just one thing to say on that
0: i was just going to ask within the like although it's new I know that you have been working with in your previous business bigger businesses and bigger problems and you have been in contact with leaders what are the three leadership qualities that you see that actually promote that culture of put, putting people first
1: yeah I think it's
0: th- three three is a
1: lot <laughs> how many ever you can <laughs> uh so, so I think being the, f- the first one is to, as a leader, to you know, it's, it's the classic vulnerability, you know, Brené Brown thing, where you know you are, op- you know, you can actually stand in front of your team and say, yes, I have thirty years' experience, but I really, I don't know everything, and you know, there are weaknesses in you know in my skill set, and that's you know, where, where you know you're inviting people in to that. I think. Times when we know a lot, <laughs> I think listening is obviously a massive leadership yeah, skill. And, yeah. uh, we I, I, I remember even myself, you know, going on to meetings and knowing the answer and just jumping in and, you know, I know what we need to do. We need to do this and this is why we need to do it, you know, I, and really I should have sat back and listened to the team first and then help them along because you're not, you know, if you, t- if you just, you know, come in with the answer straight away, you're not allowing your team to grow. Mm. So I think this thing is a huge thing being open and vulnerable. And then I think, you know, the third one I would say is definitely trusting in your team and, you know, believing that they are doing their best. And if they are struggling that they're it's your, you, you have to reflect that back in yourself and saying, why are they struggling? You know, there's what can I do to help them? What can I do to support them? Rather mm. than, oh, they're just, you know, they're taking too long to do things. They're, you know, they're not performing well. That really should, you should reflect back on yourself and say, why are they not performing well? I haven't done my job properly then, mm. you know, in terms of, of, of helping, you know, giving them whatever they need, the set or the tools to be able to perform better.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if you experienced this in bigger structures, but with entrepreneurs. So I'm talking about entrepreneurs with, you know, maybe 25 maximum team members or 50 team members, but they are still owner-manager people, right? The one thing that I hear a lot is they don't get it. Like, I've told them plenty times, they still don't get it. I've told them how to do it. I showed them how to do it. They don't get it. And I always say, so does that mean that you hired a bunch of idiots? Like, what what does that mean about you? Like, they don't get it. okay? but at the end of the day, you hired them. So what does that mean? And the minute they come to that kind of realisation of shit, whether they get it or they don't get it, at the end of the day, the responsibility is on my shoulders.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes we have to put ourselves in their shoes and know that they're not the same as us, that, you know, we, we can't expect to have, you know, employ a whole group of people that think... And behave exactly the way that we do. You know, you need to embrace the differences. You need to embrace the different personalities and take advantage of it because, you know, I'm a very impulsive, creative person and I need a more prudent person to ground me when I'm coming up with some wacky ideas. <laughs> so we, we need to lean on those different personalities and skill sets but absolutely I mean I hear it a lot as well and I mean another reason that clients might engage me is if they're losing a lot of young people so people come in you know new career starts and then you know it's that revolving door they're going in and going out going in and going out and there's your job hopping from one place to the next so I think in those circumstances you need to look at you know what needs are you not meeting there for, for those people and I think again, you know, I I talk a bit about the intergenerational listening and I really believe that, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and I think, you know, Gen X Gen X leaders sometimes kind of go, Oh, you know, I pulled an all nighter, why wouldn't they? You know, it's just because they are not insane. <laughs> They actually want to look after their health and their physical and mental health. You know, you were crazy to do that, you know, but we don't see it that way. Sometimes we have that very sort of mindset of, you know, I did it and I worked stupid hours and I did this and I did that and I had to put up with that. So, you know, it's not weakness. It's actually a sign of strength that they are pushing back, you know, and I think we just need to change the mindset on that intergenerational differences.
0: I still agree with you. I mean, it's really difficult because I'm probably we're very similar ages. I have worked in advertising. So we have done, you know, 24 hours round the clock or just go home, shower, get back to to the agency kind of thing. And actually, I was having fun. It was fun as well, you know, like the pizza and beer nights and stuff. So now I'm very conflicted about this topic because there's one thing that I believe is the idea of hard work, not hassle and grind, but hard work. I do really believe in hard work. Yeah, And it is for me a, like in our company, it's a culture thing. We do believe in hard work. We do believe that hard work pays, not pays money, but hard work actually also pays fulfillment. So that's one bit. But then I also believe that you got to take time off. You got to respect your body. You got to respect your mind. You got to be able to shut the door to the business you know, which we were not able to do. And to me, the generational conflict and how do we meet in the middle is on that two points. It's, yeah, yes, your health comes, it's really important, but also hard work, is really important as well as a human being. And I haven't solved it yet. And And we're too small to live it as a problem. And I don't have any employees who are actually against that at the moment. But I know that when we're going to start to hire younger generation, I will have problems. I know it because I am one of those entrepreneurs that you're talking about. When I see them, I go like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> are you not like, how are you thinking like this? And then the, they come and they will be like oh within like three weeks i want a pay raise like what (laughs) (laughs) and there is something that i like in it because they dare they dare to ask they give themselves value which we didn't have in our belief systems but then there's also like you gotta work for it and i will call you then (laughs) i will need your help
1: I find it interesting you use the term hard work. Can I ask what you mean by hard work?
0: Hard work for me is commitment. If you want to achieve something, if you have a big goal, it doesn't happen because Yeah. It happens because you commit and I don't qualify or quantify it with hours or anything. It's You can hard work, focused work, two hours, and then not work the, the rest of the day. I'm not quantifying hard work, but it's a way of commitment. It's being able to do the hard thing when you don't want to. It's being able to go against your fears, comfort zone, you know, when actually every single cell in your body tells you to stay cozy. It's sometimes, and everybody who listens to this will kill me because I'm going to say this, maybe you will kill me as well, but it's sometimes, even when you're sick, being able to get out of the bed and do something that you must be doing because that's how you're committed and in love with it and you push certain limits. I'm not talking about like, you know, when you're on your dead bed, but (laughs) I have a little cold right now. I can definitely stay in bed and and pass the day in bed. And probably then tomorrow I would feel better and I am dragging it maybe for three more days. I'm going to feel a bit crappy, but to me showing up and not canceling this conversation that we are having right now is worth it. So that is for me hard work. So it's not like the grind and hassle where you are like, you know, rowing against the current. It's more about passion and commitment.
1: Yeah. For me, it's about good work, quality work and commitment. I think when we use the word hard, it's just like, oh, I feel a bit allergic to that.
0: I, I know that a lot of people, you know why I use this? Because I am against the culture that has been created by many coaches around, oh, you don't need to work hard. You don't need to work that much. Just manifest and then things will happen. It, like, yeah, you got to manifest. I do believe in manifestation. But manifestation is something that your brain allows you to see opportunity, right? and you meet that and to make that opportunity come reality it's your commitment into that so that's why I also I always say this like there's hard work Mm. and there is hassle and grind and I kind of separate it and I do value the work culture
1: yeah yeah I think then that brings it back to you know the leaders obviously I think growing people's confidence to enable them to take on the challenging pieces of work, you know, to to mm-hmm. to and to trust that they can do it, giving them autonomy. And I think that's the younger workers actually love that. They love being involved and feel that they're working towards a common goal and a common purpose. I think, you know, if they're just given small little pieces that they don't see where it progresses to or they, what their part in that was, then that's when they start getting a bit of, oh, you know, why bother? You know, I think yeah. if they... F- contributing to the greater goal and that you know they've made that contribution I think that's where you'll see them working at whatever yeah. work you use quality work committed work or whether that's hard work yeah
0: yeah so I agree with you that that direct line of sight to the bigger purpose to the mission it really fuels people's commitment and then willingness to give that's really true
1: To be honest as well, you know, not everybody is for everyone. And, you know, you might find that you have some staff that aren't working out and it might not be your fault. It might just be that it's not a right fit. And, you know, we've hired many people across the years and thought they were perfect, but actually uncovered that they weren't. And it wasn't anybody's fault. It just wasn't right. And they need to find their right role you know usually what we find is people who didn't fit with us did fit in a different role and you know it was the right thing to do to say look I think you'd be better in a different area (laughs) you know Uh, (laughs) rather than really forcing it you know we used to extend people's probations and I thought look we have to stop doing this because it never works if it's not working it's not working
0: but you know there's one philosophy for me is when there's doubt there's no doubt yeah you know The minute, especially in people management for me, it has been always like the minute you have a doubt about, not about their skills, but qualities, human qualities and attitude and alignment with your values. There's no doubt. That is the end of the questioning. But yeah, you're so right. Do not renew probation periods. <laughs>
1: <laughs> extend them. Don't extend them. Don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, don't. Don't. <laughs> right. So we're coming towards the end of this session. I mean, we covered a lot of things. I think, you know, the one thing that I heard and really resonated with me is don't blind yourself to the bad news or to the reality of what's happening, whether internally or outside of your business, because yeah. actually that will give you fuel to improve and then to maybe take that next leap
1: yeah I think that point um, I actually can't believe time has flown by (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. but um, for for me it's about opening yourself up to criticism and to constructive criticism but also not then going oh my god I've done a terrible job you know it's actually about going do you know what they're right and this is the solution it's having a solutions focused mindset I'm very much a silver lining person so you know Mm -hmm. someone told my entire you know business concept was wrong <laughs> I would go okay how do I make it right you know I wouldn't go oh, that I'm gonna go off now and you know t- Start something new or just shut that down. I would go right. I have to be able to, you know, see what the silver lining is and what can I learn from this. So we have to learn from our failures, we have to learn from our mistakes, but we also have to be very positively mindset, you know, have that positive mindset of, of going right. This is what I'm going to do about it and this is what I'm going to change.
0: So true. Thank you so much for like highlighting that. Because I guess if you don't have the positive mindset, That's when you become, you don't hear or you don't want to hear or you can't deal with the bad news. You can't deal with the reality. You don't want to, you know, look deeper in what's not working. And that's very true. So it's really first grow the positive mindset attitude and then start to look as well. That's amazing. Well, Julie, thank you very much. But I have one last question for you. So... (laughs) You know, the name of this podcast is She's Awesome. And the idea came to me by thinking that you know what, fuck this. No women actually owns their greatness. Every time that you ask women what they do, they will always, you know, diminish their power, minimize what they have done, they have achieved, etc. So this is a platform where I kind of encourage or gently force <laughs> women to own their awesomeness and greatness. So Julie Griffith, why are you awesome? Oh my
1: goodness that, that it's it's very hard <laughs> um, I think I'm awesome. I think it's it is that last point that I made is that I'm a silver line person. I remember when we first met that I told you the story about how I was training for a marathon and I had a, an injury that you know basically the physio said you've got very, very small chance of, of actually getting to the start line. I think he said 30%. Uh Funny enough, I met someone who went in afterwards and, and she'd said, oh my God, he said he gave you 30%, but actually he was like, there's no way she's going to make it. But I took that 30% as a I've got a 30% chance, that is a really strong chance. And I worked my butt off to get myself rehabbed. And I not only made it to the start line, but I also made it to the finish line. So, you know, I think, you know, that you talked initially about that very small percentage of, you know, businesses succeeding. I think we have to believe in that Small percentage, and believe we're good enough to be one of those small percentages. And that's why I think I'm awesome is that I have a very silver lining mentality, and that I I believe in myself, and that I can do things, and just have that really strong determination. Some may call it stubbornness, I call it determination. That that I can achieve it, and that I will make it to the start line and the finish line successfully.
0: You are awesome, Julie. You have shown it, and thank you very much for sharing with us. Not only your experience in people growing a business, but also your expertise in understanding the audience. Thank you so much. This was an amazing chat.
1: Oh, thank you. And you are amazing too. And so is your podcast. And I really hope that that will help some people and and motivate them and inspire them.
0: That will. Thank you very much, Julie. Thank you. Bye. Well, my friend, thank you for listening to this She Is Awesome podcast. If you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others, send an email to hello at You can find the email address in the show notes. Well, let's meet here again next week. Take care. Bye now.